You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Behind every memorable moment and career highlight on the diamond. And the Twins are baseball's world champions. Number 500 for Han Killebrew. Francisco Lariano has pitched a no-hitter. Gone! A walk-off for Sano! And the Twins win it! Are the true gems. The inside stories and tales. I had zero idea what was going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm starting game one. Like, what is happening? Honestly, it ended up being cooler than I hit a third triple than hitting the grand slam. But at the moment, I was mad that it wasn't a grand slam. I went into the seventh inning, and it got broken up by Joe hitting a single. We'll call it a very loose single. And you'll find those candid, casual conversations here on the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Now, here's Chris Atterbury. Well, welcome once again inside the Twins Clubhouse as we throw open the clubhouse doors. Today's show brought to you by Securian Financial, who can help you make every moment count. Find out more about their insurance, investment, and retirement solutions at Securian.com. Very excited to get back to our normal programming. Last week, of course, was the draft, and we had Sean Johnson on. He was amazing. But we're going to kind of get back into the archives a little bit again here today uh, and add some voices to those you heard on the billboard, guys like Brian Dunsing, Denard Spann, Jake Odorizzi. We are going to chat with Twins pitcher Scott Baker. Seven years in Minnesota, 63-48 and 48 with a 4.15 earned run average. Second round pick in 2003, and we head to Shreveport, Louisiana, home of Scott Baker. And, Scott, it is wonderful to catch up with you. How is retirement treating you, my friend? <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, guys. I, I'll have to admit the very first thought I had uh, when you guys reached out was, man, these guys need baseball to come back. They're digging deep. <laughs> come on now, we're not we're not digging that deep. We're not digging that deep at all. I, I, I'm just I'm just teasing. It's it's a lot of fun to to catch up. But everything's good, man. Um, kids are getting older. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I still find myself somewhat on a, a baseball schedule, staying up late, getting up late, especially with the kids out of school. But uh, we're hanging in there and. And especially with all these new norms. Yeah, and it's so amazing because thinking back uh, to to your career here in Minnesota, and and when I started in Minnesota in, in 07, we kind of spanned that same stretch of time, and you had a, a really young family that was growing. You were adding children, and now you got a high schooler, and I just can't believe you guys are old enough to have a high school kid in your house. <laughs> it's funny. So our, our first uh, Eli was born in 2005, and I was kind of going up and down and and uh, I'll never forget when, uh, you know, I got the first call up and, and Terry Ryan actually picked us up from the air, airport. Here's my pregnant wife and, and of course, Terry being Terry. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, first one was born in 2005 and uh, our second was born in 2007. And then our, our third was born in 2012, my last year with the Twins. How about that little nugget you just slip in there, Scott, that the general manager of the team picked you up at the airport himself? <laughs> Like that just doesn't happen unless it's Terry Ryan. You know what's funny is he would he uh, so he drove a pickup truck. <laughs> and he was the one that threw the bags in the back of the of the pickup truck, both my wife and and mine. And of course, I had my big baseball bag and everything. So that was just Terry for you. Yeah, and then your poor pregnant wife is sitting in the middle seat right next to the general <laughs> managers. You drive as you say, "Welcome to the big leagues. We've made it. We finally made it." That's right. I know he. 
you know, of course, he was uh, a very nice guy, but very dry. So, you know, you just, you never, you're like, what did he mean by that? What did, you know, like he was talking about, <laughs> uh, you know, his family and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, he, it, it, that's something I'll never forget for sure. Well, it's funny because you did come up in 2005. We're going to get to that in a minute. But when I was going back through your numbers and kind of picking out some some big dates and, and big games, and we're going to hear some of those highlights, Scott, I had forgotten how little time you spent in the minor leagues. You only really had the one full season. You were a second-round pick in 03. You spent all of 2004 you know, hopping up, I think, three different levels of the organization and obviously parts of the next three seasons, but by and large only one full season in the minor leagues yeah so uh drafted in just like you said 2003 uh spent uh, a summer literally half a summer in quad cities iowa and um the following year started in high a and then went double a triple a and um you know i don't know why or, or i guess of course i was doing really well at the time but yeah i just felt like there were certain guys that um they, they kind of were wanting to fast track and Fortunately, uh, I happen to be one of those guys. But, uh, you know, of course, that's another story. All, all the characters in the minor leagues and the coaching staffs. But, you know, I was very fortunate to that they thought of highly of me enough to, to, to move me that quickly. Yeah, and people always bagged on the Twins, saying they never moved people quickly, but you right. were certainly an exception to that. Now, the Twins drafted you out of Oklahoma State uh, after you had turned down, I think, the Pirates out of high school at Captain Shreve there in Shreveport, your, your hometown where you still live in, in Louisiana. The scout that had Oklahoma, and he also was the guy who inked Nick Blackburn, was Scott Miller. And here is, a, as we jump into our, our clips here, here's what Scott Miller had to say about you. He wasn't an outgoing guy or anything like that. He was a grind, more of a grinder type that always did his work. But, you know, you talk enough, scouting-wise, you talk to the coaches and the trainers and the support staff at the school and everybody around it. This is a guy that, you know, like you're going to hire somebody to do a job, he'd be a guy you'd hire in any situation because he's going to show up every day and do what do what he's supposed to do. You know, we were fortunate, I think, just to get him where we got him. And, and that wasn't me uh, banging the drum. You know, that guy dropped in our lap, and we were fortunate to be there. And that is a guy, Scott Miller, sounding more like a scout than you could possibly sound like, right? We couldn't get a guy from Central Casting to sound more like a guy who covered Oklahoma than Scott Miller. What was that process like for you coming out of Oklahoma State? Were you surprised uh, that it was the Twins? How did that evolve for you? So, you know, there was a lot of speculation, uh, you know, where I would go. Um, To be honest with you, I thought I was going to go a little higher, but there was such a, a plethora of college pitchers and then then very few position players and mm-hmm. of course there was a lot of uh, young position players high school position players taken earlier than the draft and they then they um probably intended to go but uh you know the the twins were were always very good to me and there's one thing that i'll never forget uh, uh i thought his name was greg miller but you, you probably yeah, greg you're right i totally had is it it's a greg miller yeah, it's great anyways he He'd always say, I know you don't know me from Adam. And now he would say it multiple times, just the fact that I'm trying to get you to sign. I'm, we're trying to get something done here. And, uh, but he was, he was a trip, man. I, I, uh, I, but it got to the point where it's like, I was just ready to play. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I was not ready to continue to negotiate or hold out the summer. I think I'd talked to a, a Cape Cod team and thinking about going back up there 
and playing uh, until we could get something done. But I just like, I think that the, actually the twins, it was never spoke of, but they, they appreciated the fact that I was ready to get out there and maybe led to, um, to, to getting me uh, developed and getting me ready for the big leagues and something they appreciated maybe helping me uh, fast track to the big leagues. Yeah, and it was Greg Miller. My apologies to Greg. I, I had jotted down a, a different name instead. That's all right. <laughs> I'm glad you caught it, though, Scott. I think it was Scott Baker and Scott Miller all of a sudden. I was uh, throwing Scott's all over the place. When you were at Oklahoma State, who was was Holiday there? What was the coaching staff? Because I remember at, at one point with the A's, they had, I don't know if it was Bailey and Holiday, like, but their their dads had both like taken over for one another in that program or, or something. There was quite a little circle going on there in Stillwater. Yeah, so during my time, of course, Tom Holiday was there for a long time prior to me being there as the pitching coach and then, of course, the, uh, the head coach. And um, what led me to Oklahoma State actually was uh, John Farrell mm. was the pitching coach, and he was only there for one year, and then the – the Indians, uh, you know, grabbed him and, and had him as a player development guy. Um, but yeah, that was the main reason I chose to go there. And there was a little, it wasn't, wasn't a great situation when we found out John Farrell was leaving, but, um, Josh holiday, his son stepped in and, and, uh, you know, kind of took over as far as the pitching and catching and with the help of some other guys. And it was a really, you know, I always viewed high school and college as kind of a stepping stone to originally, you know, or, or what ultimately I wanted to do. And um, it was a really good place to play. It's great program, a lot of history there. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, loyal fan support, and I really am grateful that that it worked out the way it did. Yeah, and Eskimo Joe's right in the center camp. Yeah, can't forget, can't well, forget there's, that. there's one guy there, and course it looks completely different than when i was in high school but there was one guy he owned an eskimo joe's uh a mexico joe's uh, joseppe's which <laughs> yeah this day and age i don't know if those fly but um yeah he he and then he had like a nice a nice restaurant it was called stillwater bay but yeah. well, there <laughs> you the have market. it he had the corner on the market with with uh, restaurants. For if sure. you you were hungry in Stillwater, that that guy was going to get your money at, at the at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Eskimo Joe's had their. Um, I think they were like the famous for like their chicken cheese fries, or you know, essentially nachos with with French fries. So. And yet you were still skinny when you got to the Twins. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, Scott, you, again, two thousand four, you hit how. all the levels. You mentioned two thousand five. Terry Ryan and his pickup truck picks up you and your pregnant wife at the airport for your major league debut. Now, Mike Radcliffe had said they thought they were getting a guy with big velocity, but still the control was a little fuzzy. You turned out to be the opposite. Uh, The velocity was fine, but impeccable control was really a hallmark of of your pitching career. So you get called up in in May of 2005. You're only there for a couple of days, right? Uh, And I believe your debut was in relief of Kyle Loesch. It, it was, and I, I don't know if it's uh, it's okay to talk about. But actually, my first call up was uh, the back when it was only a ten day suspension for uh, the for the drug yeah. the drug use for, of Juan Rincon. So I was literally up there for ten days and went right back down and made one relief appearance. But, do you, rem- uh, do you remember the first guy you faced? Uh, I know it was in Tampa Bay, and I know I faced. Um, no, but I felt like I was floating 
I'll be honest with you. I don't. I don't remember. But I don't feel like I touched the ground. I was. I was so nervous. And of course, I had my family there, my agent there, and um. So it was quick. And I, we, of course, they flew from, you know, the to Minnesota, and nothing happened there. And I think we went to, to Baltimore, and and uh, and then Tampa Bay, and I finally made my debut. Yeah, Jorge Cantu uh, got you with a double. Yeah, Jorge then, Cantu. That's right. Double off the wall. Or, yeah bounced off the wall or something like that so you go down and then you come back up later your first start was opposite big Irv. it was opposite Irvin santana uh and that was against a really good angels team it's your second game it's your first start and you're looking at a lineup that's got you know darren erstad i think was hitting second sean figgins was leading off uh vlad guerrero was in the middle of that that order as well yeah that not a bad way to to make your first start huh no, and I think I, I, I survived, I'll put it that way. Um, of course, I didn't have a long leash at the time. I think I ran into some trouble maybe in the sixth inning and, and got pulled. But, uh, yeah. Uh, you pitched okay. great. It was a 2-1 ball game. You went five innings. Uh, you gave up a leadoff double to Figgins, and then Vlad had an RBA ground out, but you held him 0-3, for 3, the Hall of Famer. And, I mean, a 2-1 game, uh, five innings, not a bad first start at all. Yeah. Speaking specifically of Vladimir Guerrero, I mean, the guy – had a, a range of balls that he could get to. And um, I don't, I remember distinctly talking about that pregame, but I mean, you, you could throw it up head height or literally <laughs> off the ground. That's what you had to do. And a lot, I think I, I do remember one, just a pitch that was, you know, definitely something he should have handled better, but he popped it up about a million miles. And, uh, and his yeah. bat was like a telephone pole too. He had the biggest oh, bat. I mean, he an incredible player. I mean, but yeah, you you see these guys, and I know you probably hear it all the time, but you never imagine really having to face them. But you're just kind of thrown in there. It's just like here it is, you know, and let's see what happens. But well, you acquitted yourself just fine, and you continue on through the rest of the year. And in fact, you pick up your first three wins. Your first win. Uh, and again, the wins can be a bit of an arbitrary deal, but it was in a, a solid effort at Detroit. Uh, it was a doubleheader game. And do you remember who the opposing starter was that you beat for your first win? Absolutely. Justin Verlander. You got it. <laughs> Why not, right? Why not make it Verlander? That's still, still, still a claim to fame for me. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Every time I still see him out there, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I beat that guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And so that was the first win, and it was the the perfect textbook win of the era because Jesse Crane came in, got one inning, and then Nathan closed it up. You right. went seven strong. Uh, and then we come back 2006, and again, uh, you made the opening day club. You were the, the right. fifth starter to start the year, and you picked up your first win of that year thanks in part to this swing. Here's Bucina. Three balls, two strikes, and the pitch. Line for a hit to left. Batista will try to score. Here's Matsui's throw. It is not in time. Castro to second, Ford to third, and the Twins lead 3-1. to one. And Scott Baker beats Mike Mussina and the New York Yankees in his second start of the year. That's not a bad one to have in your cap either. No, so I think I had two starts against the, the Yankees that year, one towards the beginning and one towards the end, and, and did pretty well. Um, you know, it was kind of funny. I did make the team – you know, out of spring training and uh, started off pretty well. And, and well, the funny part of it was you had guys like Radke and, and Santana who and Loesch were, were struggling a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 
and I think it it finally got to me a little bit to be if I'm going to be completely frank, um, you know, it, it of course guys, I think video was kind of starting to come into to fashion, and of course. It's, it's what happens. You got to make adjustments, and mm-hmm. I just wasn't very good at making adjustments. And that ultimately was probably one of my tougher, you know, younger years, as far as you know, just doing the up and down thing. Uh, but you know, they always stuck with me, so it's hard to complain, you know, in hindsight. But it was it was a very challenging year. If I would be, like I said, completely frank. Well, Scott, I think everyone has that, though, right? Has that year where, okay, I tasted it and I had some success, but now the league is reacting back to me. I mean, very few people just show up and are good from the drop and and don't struggle. It's really a difficult adjustment. So I think everybody has that sort of year. Uh, The oddity of of you having it in 06 was that your fellow rookie pitcher, Francisco Liriano, was just flying, right? Like every five days he was leading the highlight package. Um, but I don't think a year like 06 for you is in any way, shape, or form unusual. I would say it's more the norm. No, I would completely agree with that. I think a lot of guys don't talk about it, but, um, you know, you feel like somewhat of a, an imposter. Like, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> And it really can mess with you. And it takes quite a while for you to feel like you, you belong um, and you can compete at that level on a regular basis. It's It's one thing to have – a good start here and there, but you know, you want the, the bulk of your starts to be like that. Just like I said, it comes with experience and the only way to get the experience is to, to go through trials and tribulations that, that would involve uh, maybe helping you make those adjustments uh, on the fly. Yeah. And that consistency that it's so hard to get there, but then it's so hard to stay and to stay for a long time. And you were able to carve out a 10 year career, which again is, uh, is remarkable. I do want to note in that win over the Yankees, by the way, not only did you out duel Mussina, but big Lou Ford throwing out Jorge Posada at home plate, maybe the biggest play of the game. Were you backing up? Did you have a good view of that one? I hope so. If I wasn't, I'm sure I heard about it, but uh, you know, and that's you want to take it back to the twins. I mean, that was uh, preached in the minor leagues. You know, as far as backing up bases, doing the right thing, or you know, Guardy. How many times did you hear Guardy say, "You know, do the, do the small things, and the big things will take care of themselves." So, wow. Yeah, you better be backing up bases. Well, 06 was such a crazy year and the great finish and the run to the postseason and whatnot and high expectations coming into 07. And you talked about that imposter syndrome and trying to make sure you're consistent. Your spring training did not go well in 07. And you ended up starting the year in AAA after after the rough spring. You recovered, though. You come up in May and in your first start, you go eight and a third. Uh, and give up just two runs against Milwaukee. I felt like when you came up in 07, and that was my first year as well, that, that you had a bit of a chip on your shoulder after after a spring that didn't go the way that you really had planned. No, I, I think I think you're right. Um, I do remember those uh, them signing a couple veterans, mm-hmm. at least a couple veterans, to kind of, you know, I knew they we had a lot of really good young starting pitching uh, in the in the higher levels in the minor leagues, and maybe just one needed a couple guys to kind of tie it over. So, essentially, I, I did came in with a little different mindset. You know, I I really just felt like I needed a a change of perspective, and I think at that point I was okay uh, going back to AAA after '06 mm-hmm. and kind of working some things out. Um, and then, of course, I got the call to to pitch in Milwaukee, and 
I don't know if you remember, but the big thing was uh, everybody was uh, buzzing their head. So yep. <laughs> as soon as I got there, uh, Carlos and, and uh, Santana, you know, pulled me in the bathroom, and I didn't have a choice. Some guys <laughs> shaved your head. Like exactly, yeah, exactly. Which is fine. I mean, who knows? Who cares? But I uh, ended up throwing really well, and and uh, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, you got four at bats. I mean, anytime you're a pitcher and yeah. you get four at bats, that's a pretty good deal. And uh, you did that against a good Milwaukee club. You put together some really nice stretches uh, in 2007. I go to the end of July when you go eight innings, just a run and two hits against the Royals. The next start, you go eight shutout against Cleveland, but it really hit uh, August 31st. And that's a game that all of us remember who were part of it, and I'm sure it's blistered into your brain and that is the game where you took uh the perfect game into the ninth inning now let's walk through it a little bit first of all i had not remembered that this was game two of a doubleheader against the royals and that the twins had actually lost game one how did that change your preparation did you even pay attention to game one what as a starter in the back end of a doubleheader kind of how does that tweak your routine well um so if if you want a little more backstory i just we had just had our second child um you know about a week prior and mm-hmm. i was literally they were good about letting me go back and you know went back for the birth uh flew back to make a start went back you know to take her home from the hospital then came back again and i was as long as i was able to get a chance to to throw no matter where i was at i felt okay but i don't know even know if this is the definition of, of jet lag but i was freaking tired man you know like i, I just i uh didn't feel real great that start to be honest with you and uh one thing i do remember um is having a pretty good breaking ball that day and of course with mike redmond back there if you had a good breaking ball that that day you you were gonna throw it a lot yeah and uh so of course you know everything's going well until that ninth inning and then of course john buck who steps up to the plate who typically is going to swing at one of the first two pitches um decides to take a bunch of pitches you know a couple were close probably not strikes but um you know so it led to the walk you know mike sweeney gets the hit and and, you know i'm able to shut shut out the game but yeah that was that was a crazy time something that i certainly will never forget and uh came very close oh what, what an electric moment let's let's listen into the highlight here is the 0-1 delivery to Sweeney and the pitch. And a line drive to center field, and it's going to drop for a base hit. Oh. Scott Baker flirts with a no-hitter for eight and a third innings and a big hand from the crowd for Baker as Sweeney breaks up the no-hit bid. I have to imagine, even all these years later, Scott, you can still put yourself in that place and and revisit the feelings of that crowd and that reaction showering over you. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I realized how tired I was, you know, especially with the, the current situation, flying mm-hmm. back and forth and doing all the traveling, or how tired I was. And I think I just eventually just kind of just ran out of gas, you know. But it was it was incredible. I mean, there was guys coming down that, that would had either gone up to the clubhouse at that point, and if most people don't know or haven't, it's a, that's a long trip. That's a haul <laughs> from the clubhouse to the to the dugout in the Metrodome. And um, they were they were coming down to to see what was going to happen. But uh, you know, it's what, another little 
little story, Mike Sweeney came up to me the next day, and he, he seemed to genuinely feel bad that that <laughs> happened. <laughs> if, if you know Mike, he was such an uh, incredible player, but also a, a super, super nice guy and a super caring guy. And a really good hitter, a really good yeah, hitter. Absolutely. And you know, nothing fluky about what he does at the plate. Let's listen to an exhausted Scott Baker after that ball game. And the pitch. Here's a line shot. Caught by Bartlett, and the game is over. Scott Baker has pitched a one-hit, complete game shutout, and he gets a big hug from his catcher, Mike Redman, and Redman patting him on the backside. Nice going, Scott Baker. I think you realize it until you uh, give up the hit, to be honest with you. So, for, for, so for about me, the fifth inning on? I mean, we I'd think- say the whole game. You know, I realize if I've given up a hit or not. I, I don't know about other people, but I know how many hits I've given up. So Were guys staying away from you? Coaches not talking to you? They were, but... I don't think it mattered. You know, I was almost going to pull somebody down here to sit next to me so I could talk to him, but, <laughs> but um, it, it just uh, it was a good night. So I guess you weren't all that superstitious uh, in the dugout, huh? No, no. Of course, throughout the years, the, the starting pitchers are, are pretty tight. And, um, of course, you got guys like Silva and Santana and, and all their <laughs> antics. And then later on with some of the younger guys, you know, we were pretty tight-knit. We talked to each other throughout the game. And so I, I, that was completely honest right there. I was going to be afraid to, to hear what I had to say. <laughs> I had to, to walk something back, but no, that was spot on. What I remember in the aftermath of it was how mad Red was at himself. He felt like he called the wrong pitch or like, like Mike was blaming himself uh, for a couple of days, which is classic Mike Redman. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really, you know, of course, all the catchers, they, we always seem to have good starting catchers and, and good backup catchers the entire time I was there. But, uh, you know, Red Dog was, he really liked his pitchers to do well. You know, of course, um, he cared, and, and I think that's why he ended up becoming a major league manager because uh, of his mentality of, of what was super important and, and, and just staying with the guys the entire time. And, of course, you know, a lot of times he, no matter what he did at the plate, didn't affect what uh, what his game calling ability was going to be, and whether he was into uh, what that what that pitcher was doing at the time. Well, Scott Red did pay you back. He got you into the Twins history books the next year. It was June fifteenth of two thousand eight against the Milwaukee Brewers. You remember this one? I do. <laughs> Let, let's take a listen to it. Swing and a miss. As Ryan Braun is down, 93-mile-an-hour fastball up and out of the zone. A swing and a miss, and the ball gets away from Redmond. Fielder's going to reach. Here's the set and the pitch. Strike three, and that will retire Russell Brannion. A breaking pitch that Brannion just got locked up on. And strike three called, and uh, Scott Baker has four strikeouts in the third inning, tying a record held by many. And the first twin to do it. Because Red couldn't handle strike three to Prince Fielder. Hey, you know what? I'll take it, man. <laughs> I uh, there's some really good hitters in there, and uh, you just because a guy like Russell Brandon could could run into something hit at 500 feet. Yeah, and obviously the other other three speak for themselves. But um, yeah, that, that was an incredible experience. I, I I knew it. I knew exactly what was happening, and it was something that. Once you get two strikes on that fourth hitter, it's something that you're thinking about for sure. Did you think of yourself as a strikeout guy? Um, I think I always felt like I had the ability to strike guys out. 
But I, I, essentially, I was trying to get guys out early in the count. Yeah. You know, ground balls. I didn't give you know, or pop ups or whatever. Get them out however I can, and ultimately that's what that's what matters. But uh, you know, having the ability to strike somebody out does does feel pretty good. What what stands out to me, and this is something we actually bring your name up quite a bit in this now modern era of how pitch pitches are used and and called is when you heard Gordo say there to Ryan Braun 93 and up out of the zone that's that's the norm now people work up and out of the zone back when you and uh, Maddie G and I were talking about this on the Twins Clubhouse you Jesse Crane were two guys that stand out who work really effectively up in the zone yet we're constantly being told throughout your life that you're supposed to pitch down can you even imagine in this day and age now where that's encouraged I have to imagine if they put the metrics on on your spin rate and your axis that they would find that much like a Jake Odorizzi, the way you throw the baseball up in the zone, your fastball would play up there the same way it does for a guy like Odorizzi around the same velocity or a guy like Ian Kennedy. Well, I think you're exactly right. I think that you are seeing that a lot more, but it comes um, at the consequence of you know if you're able to get right back down in the zone. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, and sometimes I was able to do that. Sometimes I wasn't, but to, to change the eye line or to, I think you have to have a certain level of deception, which, uh, you know, I don't know if I believe it or not, but I was always told that I had a certain, you know, the velocity was okay, but there was a level of deception. Like they couldn't mm-hmm. see the ball coming, which helped probably with some of those higher pitches and, and allowed me to get away with some that weren't so high, but yeah, you definitely got to be able to come back down and and have that pitch or two up in the zone and then come right back down. So, and when you were uh, right, you had the fastball up and then you had the the good breaking ball that you could bury. And I mean, that's a that's a tough at bat. Right, right, and that's something that I don't think I, probably for young guys out there, maybe they guys are doing that now. It's you know bullpens. It was your main focus was was ball down in the zone. So, and you might have a pitch here or there in a bullpen session that you were working on, you know, kind of up and in. But I would imagine that guys are almost working on that just as much as, as balls down and away at this point. Yeah. And and they can back it up. They can say, well, look, this is why it works. And then people can do right. it. And uh, I really feel like your natural movement would play well and did play well in that part of the zone. Scott Baker is our guest here on the Twins Clubhouse. It's brought to you by Securian Financial, who can help you make every moment count. Find out more about their insurance, investment, and retirement solutions at Securian.com. Now, when you pitch in the American League, you have to make every at-bat count because you don't get very many of them. And in 2008, you finally got one of these. Let's listen. This ball's hit well to right center field. This will make him look like a hitter. Drops in in front of Giles, so a solid base hit by Scott Baker, and Baker had get picks up his first Major League Base hit. Tell me you have that ball somewhere in your house in Shreveport. I, I definitely have the ball. Um, <laughs> it's not displayed, but I, I know exactly where it's at. And, uh, you know, kind of a, a little story. I gave my dad, actually, I kept the ball for myself, but I gave my dad uh, the bat, that, that, and it was just a little C-271, little toothpick. And... <laughs> You know, most guys are swinging much bigger bats these days. But, uh, of course, he cried because as much time as we, um, you know, put on the mound and, and in bullpen sessions, we certainly put that amount of time in, um, you know, in the cage and, and, and hitting live BP and stuff like that. So 
I, I felt like I owed it to him for sure. Well, we know Johan could hit a little bit and like to tell everybody about it, but in your young yeah. young core of guys, with, I'm thinking of you and Slowey and uh, and and Nick Blackburn and uh, Dunsing into that category, that group that we came to kind of think of as a as a as a, a core of Twins pitchers. Who was the best hitter, uh, and who thought they were the best hitter? Oh man. I don't know if any of us were very good hitters. <laughs> There's um, some honesty right there. I'm serious. I mean, I think uh, Liriano definitely had some power, and he could put one out if he if he ran into one. Um, I, I would say Slowey probably thought he was the best, and he might have been the best hitter. He had. A, um, I remember he had a two hit day in Milwaukee. I think. Yeah. And, and yeah. I know he thought he was the best at everything, so I would assume he sure. thought he was the best at hitting. Of course, you know. So, I mean, he's, he's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> it's painful to say. That's right. You're painful exactly to right. say. Well, let's move on to 2009. You go into this one knowing that there's uh, some excitement building with Target Field under construction. You think you got a pretty good ball club. Uh, and you were scheduled to make the opening day start, but your shoulder got all stiff on you, and you weren't able to, to, to start until, I think, about a week or so later. Is that how that, that played out? Uh, essentially, yeah. Um Gosh, I want to say that might have been the following year, but I do remember one spring training. I get there was a, a bug running around the the clubhouse, and I oh got, yeah, <laughs> everybody got sick got, right at the end. Oh my gosh, I got extremely sick and lost like twelve. Is that the same year? Ah, uh, I think that was the next year. I think that might have been okay. ten. But I remember, yeah. yeah, I remember that year. Everybody was was really really violently sick. Yeah, well, to to speak to two thousand nine. Um, of course, you had a bunch of guys uh, leave the Twins, and so by default, you know, I kind of became that guy. And um, you know, I, I never considered myself uh, one of those guys that would have potentially made that start. You know, I was definitely looking forward to it. So it was it was really disappointing to not be able to do that um, that year. Well, with the shoulder bugging you, a little bit of a slow start in 09, but man, did you figure it out mid-season. From June to August, you went 10-1 and with a 3-5-2 earned run average. Was that the, the best consistent stretch of pitching that you had in your career? I think so. I, I really do. I always felt like I was a better second-half pitcher um, overall with every year. Just, you know, it just took me a little while to get going. I, I don't know, just growing up in Shreveport, Louisiana, and cold weather not really being my forte um maybe had to, something to do with it but you know it's like a, a, a diesel it takes a little while to get warmed <laughs> up but once it gets warmed up you know uh you, you can go for a long time scott you're the first guy to compare himself to a diesel that we've had that's pretty good <laughs> i like that i like that a lot uh well as i mentioned you were phenomenal june to august uh virtually perfect on en route to a 200 inning season in which you won mm-hmm. 15 ball games including this gem against cleveland and the pitch. Ground ball is short, and this should do it. Cabrera's got it. Shutout win for Scott Baker. Baker goes all the way with a complete game shutout victory as the Indians go down in order here in the top half of the ninth inning. Trusted Joe my last few starts just to call the pitches. I, you know, I rarely shake them off, and uh, I think it works out well. We have a good pace going, and um, he puts them down, and I throw it, and that's why the way I like to do it. I think that game took about two hours and eight minutes or something. I mean, that, 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 that thing was flying. And I can't imagine there's a whole lot of better feelings in your line of work than getting the final out, getting that 27th out yourself. It is. And, and I think it goes without saying once, you know, you're, you're pitching against a, a division rival, 
you know, you see these guys a lot more. So those those um, shutouts seem to be tougher to come by with with you know seeing those guys more often than than uh, whether it's interleague or or out of the division play. Yeah, and every game obviously counted, especially in the division in 2009, because right. your last start of the year was in probably the most memorable non-playoff game and maybe throwing the World <laughs> Series aside, maybe maybe the most memorable game ever played by the Twins, which was that 163 lost in the in the drama late. You started that ball game went six innings. Yeah. Um you know, what's funny is I, I was reminded about uh, of it recently, kind of, I think it was being replayed, and, and uh, that boy extraordinaire, Adam Hansen, let me know. It was on, so <laughs> I got to, he played I his trumpet. He called you, left yeah. a trumpet solo on your answering machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I, um, and, I, and admittedly, it, I was brought right back to the game, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I couldn't watch the, the middle innings. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't want to, to, to witness what, what happened. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but uh, it was a super exciting game all the way through. And um, as you know, they they brought the curtains up, you know, a mm-hmm. bunch of fans, ball flies, you know, the rest is history. But uh, it was an incredible game. I was really, really happy that – and we were exhausted, but the fact that we won that game well, and was, you know. Uh, you know, so we've heard this ball game re- recap by so many people, and the beauty of it is because everybody had such a critical role in that right. game. Everybody has a different story about it. But I don't know that we've ever, at least in a in a radio or podcast public forum, really kind of delved into what it was like for you as the starter because you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, if they lose, I'm going to start game one in New York or what's going to happen, right. and you know the season's on the line. And the starting pitcher before a game like that lives in such a life of solitude anyway. What was the buildup like to that start in terms of knowing the opponent, uh, understanding when it was going to be Detroit and not New York, uh, you know, scouting reports, all of those things? Absolutely. And and you're exactly right. You you know the buildup to the game. You know uh, what's at stake. And and certainly, uh, of course, as, as a rotation, you're kind of, you know, penciled in. Of, of what's going to happen, so you're definitely aware if if this game goes one way, then then you're going to be starting, and and uh, we're going to be if we win, we're we're going to New York, and you know it's just it, it was extremely uh, daunting, you know, like there was a lot of at stake, and and I don't I don't remember exactly what um, my stats were against Detroit that year, but there was a couple guys that really gave me a lot of trouble as far as Cabrera and uh, Maglio. Yeah, they so, gave a lot of guys trouble. Yeah, I know they did. But <laughs> <laughs> I only remember for myself, to be honest. <laughs> so you get into the ball game, and it's packed. And obviously it's easy to look at it from the back end of the game and the tenseness of every pitch. But were you feeling that in your six innings of work? Because I was watching it. <laughs> and I, Were you feeling like the importance of every pitch from the, from the drop in this one? Uh, yeah, and, and it, you know, it definitely seemed like the story of two games almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, that goes without saying playing the twelve innings. But really, you know, my purpose and my point was once I'd given up the home run was to get to the sixth inning and keep us close. I mean, you, you didn't want to give a team any more than than they needed. 
you know, and once once we'd given up three runs, if I could keep it there, we had such good offense that year and was able to move the ball around a lot that, that there was a chance that we could come back and potentially win the game. But, gosh, the back and forth of that game was unlike none other. Yeah, it was unbelievable. You go six, you give up just the three, did a, a hell of a job getting the ball game deep into the into the latter stages of it. Now, typically a starting pitcher, you know, when you do your work, you throw your six innings, you know, you might be in the clubhouse, you might be showered up. I, I can't imagine that you stayed upstairs in the Metrodome for the in, the last six innings of this one. No, I mean, it, it was such a – our season could essentially be over or um, – you know, or celebration I, time. It's celebration, exactly right. And you definitely wanted to be down there. So, any more than, than grabbing something to drink, um, I'm not even sure if I iced my arm that day, to be honest with you. But uh, everybody was in the dugout. There's no question. I mean, it didn't matter. Everybody's so into the game. Like, you know, everybody's into the game. But that game, it was just, I don't Another know. Level. If, yeah. I'm sure a lot of these, these people listening have experienced a game where the curtains come up and and of that type of atmosphere, and it's just something that you don't want to miss. Yeah. Do you have any mementos from that game? I know I was talking with Maddie and, and Red, and there's the famous picture, and Michael Kadire as well, where they're pouring out of the dugout, and, and and that's a picture that, for me, is my favorite snapshot probably of my time with the Minnesota Twins. Do you have any mementos from, from that 163? <laughs> I do have that photo, actually, that... even though I'm, I'm blurry and in the background. But, <laughs> um, you know... That is an incredible photo, and um, I'm sure everybody, if they don't have it that was on the team, they yeah. should have it. I, mean, I just feel like that picture captured the personality of that group better than than words yeah. ever could. There's no question. I mean, just the the, the fire and and the and the uh, the drive that so many of these guys had, and the energy, yeah, you know, like just consistent energy was, and it shows up in that photo. Yeah, it was it was a room full of a lot of times completely different people who just for whatever reason sparked off of each other perfectly. It was a really, really wonderful group to be yeah, around. It's a, a nice uh, mixture yeah. of guys, for sure. And, and you guys in 2010 carried that forward. I, I felt like that was the best team of that era. Um, obviously, losing Justin was, was critical. But in 2010, you, you get into the new ballpark. I know with when you arrived in the organization that that, that meant an awful lot to be able to take a mounted target field. Oh man, it was that. Of course, even before I got there, that there was talks of of getting a new ballpark and and to God, you can't imagine how excited you know you hear about people talking the, about the old Met or the um, uh, the old stadium. Yeah, yeah, Met Stadium. And, and um, how enjoy it was just so. I, I, the Metrodome was always very good to me as far as. <laughs> Uh, you know, pitching there. I, I didn't mind pitching there, but for it to be 70 and sunny and to walk down into the Metrodome, <laughs> it, was, it was a little depressing. Those you know? stairs in the back felt like you were walking yeah. into a prison. Exactly. And, and then to have outside baseball again uh, for the, for the obviously the city and the region. Um, and there was a lot of talk about whether there should be a roof or not. And people, the, the Twins are such a regional team, and people potentially drive in two hours, and there being some type of rain out. Um, and I guess financially, it didn't make sense, or the land didn't support it. But either way, um, gosh, it, it, they did a really good job with the ballpark. It's, it's a ballpark that's going to hold up for a long time. Yeah. Um, it, it, with all the natural stone and 
and it, it, it's just a really nice place. You won a dozen more games in 2010 and a career high in strikeouts in this game. And a pitch. Swing and a miss. 12 strikeouts for Scott Baker. Just trying to make good two-strike pitches. And I think I'd, I had said maybe to the media last time that you know, it, was un, it was unacceptable to, to give uh, 0-2, 1-2 one, one, hits up. So I, I think that was my main focus was just to really finish those breaking pitches and, and just you know whether it's a pop-up ground ball or strikeout, you know, I'm, I'm just looking for outs. Yeah, and you got a bunch of them. That was 12 strikeouts against the Colorado Rockies. You had it working that day. Yeah, again, that statement stands up, so no no uh, corrections or no uh, adjustments to it. Um, yeah, I had a couple starts against uh, interleague uh, opponents, and I always love those games. You know, of course, they've never seen me pitch, and, yep. um, you know, that's usually conducive to getting some guys to chase pitches out of the zone. When I think back on that group, the starters, you guys took your public lumps. Everyone wanted you to strike out more guys. You didn't always have that super sexy superstar bellwether after Johan left, but yet really good quality rotations year after year. And I felt like you guys had a had a pretty solid kinship in that rotation. Is that a fair statement? I, I 100% agree. Um, you know, we didn't have a, a true number one, but, you know, you know, at least at that point, but it was something that um, we all had the ability to get guys out. And, and, and I don't know if that was on purpose, you know, or if it was like a money ball situation and, and you know, there's advanced, you know, metrics that are looked at, but um, you're right. I mean, what's, what's the name of the game is it's being able to get guys out. And if you can do that on a consistent basis, it doesn't matter, you know, what it looks like. Um but, you know, also having the ability to strike somebody out, like I said early, uh, can be important. You know, yeah. we had guys in the, the back or in the bullpen, especially towards the back end, that had the capability of doing that. When you look at some of the guys you shared that rotation with, all of you were very different in terms of your attack. You pitched different than Slowey, than Blackburn, than Carl Pavano when he came over. There were always a veteran guys that were popping in and out of the rotation. Who were some of the guys you leaned on to continue to develop your skills on the mound uh, in addition to, to Andy and the, and the staff? I really – you mentioned Pavano. Uh, Carl was – God, he was a character, but – he was uh, very good at um, reading hitters, and um, I, I sat down with him a lot. You know, of course, video was becoming more prevalent, and having the ability to look at to look at guys closer and from different angles, and um, his ability to read hitters and and uh, figure out where their holes were without, you know, the advanced scouting reports was was pretty incredible. So I relied on him heavily. Um, and of course, the other guys, just being similar age, similar style to some to some extent, um, being able to bounce off a, a guy like Slowey or Blackburn, um, you know, that was important. You know, it, we all had good starts, we all had bad starts, and at that point, I think you're beyond um, uh, not rooting for a guy or not helping a guy. Mm-hmm. You just you're all in it together. I think that tenure was the year there's like five guys in double figures and wins, I believe. Like you guys just kind of yeah. shared shared it around, you know, on, on any given night. And obviously 2011, uh, you go eight and six. Then you missed 2012, banged up. You came back. We saw you in a Cubs uniform, Rangers, Dodgers. But I'll be honest, Scott, I will always remember you in a Twins uniform uh, for the work you, you did as a twin. Yeah, you mentioned that stretch, um, you know, that good stretch in 2009 but yeah. I 
two or uh, 2011, I was really rolling good, and then of course my elbow started bugging yeah. me. That's kind of always been my Achilles' heel, as far as uh, and it just got so bad that I couldn't. Uh, you know, there, there's it, are you hurt or are you injured? I know you yeah. hear that a lot, but at that point, I felt like I was injured and could not perform um, at that level. So really tried to do a, a decent rehab um, and it just didn't work out. And then 2012 rolls around and, um, you know, made the executive or, or the decision uh, ultimately because my ligament at that point was explained to me like a, a piece of spaghetti. Yeah. It was useless. You know, it wasn't doing anything. So, man, it, it was, it was sad. <laughs> you know, well, and that process, that rehab process and the surgery and being away from the club when your whole livelihood is about that room and the camaraderie and the daily competition, that is a long, lonely grind to get back to playing shape. It is. And I, you know, of course, hindsight, I wish I would have done it differently. Um, the surgery I had obviously Tommy John, but um, it was more likened to kind of an old school Tommy John. You know, the new ones, they they split the, the tendon and are able to repair it. But I actually had the tendon and the ligament uh, replaced, which probably should have been more of an 18-month, mm-hmm. two-year process. And I just got excited and wanted to get back as soon as possible and uh, ended up kind of re-injuring myself uh, the following year with the Cubs. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, there, there was nothing that – that anybody in the organization could have done differently. Um, ultimately, it's kind of up to the guy of, of what pace he wants to go. To yeah. go at. It's such you a, such a difficult thing, and so many pitchers have that hill to climb, and yet they all all of you have to climb it by yourself, uh, by and large. Uh, at, at at the end of the day, right. What what was the transition like for you post baseball? Uh, for some guys, they slide right into it. Obviously, you you got a busy, full house at home. Uh, right. What have you been doing to keep your competitive fires stirred up? Well, I uh, you're exactly right. Uh, I I really didn't have a problem transitioning um, as much as I do miss the camaraderie of the guys and, and probably in the competition. Obviously, um, you know, I, at that point, the boys were getting older and, and they needed a dad at home, and um, I've always, you know thought of myself as a, a family guy and, and there are certainly things that are more important than, than, than playing a game, I guess, for a living if for lack of words. But I uh it was tough. It was it was it was extremely tough. But I, I do you know, I stay in great shape. I enjoy working out. I've I've set some lofty goals for myself before turning forty, <laughs> you know, as far as old you know, there's a lot of things that in baseball, especially as a pitcher that are kind of taboo as far as working out. And I, and I get it, you know, the risk to reward just isn't there with, with certain types of activities because that's a lot of money at stake. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was ever have a call a Terry Ryan during the off season and say, I got hurt doing this, you know? So, um, yeah, I stay in great shape. Uh, I have my boys out. We have a home gym that we're out there every day working out and, um, of course, the little ones into gymnastics and and staying active as well. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's been great. It's been fun. I I can't complain on any level. I want to know what some of these activities are now. Are you are you riding bulls and uh, doing jet ski <laughs> tricks or what? No, I'll give you a couple little. Uh, well, one, I, I enjoy lifting, and um, 
you know, powerlifting in general, but, you know, I have a goal of a, a, a 600 pound squat or a deadlift. Nice. And I'm pretty close to there, you know, and, or, you know, powerlifting, you compete in three events and I'll, I'll never compete. I don't have any desire to do that, but I'd like to total like a 1200 pounds, you know, as far as bench squat and deadlift. <laughs> Yeah, when you were pitching with your frame in particular, that long, loose arm, there's no way you could work out like that. No, and like I said, I'll never look like a power lifter. It's just just not in me, you know. Um, But I do enjoy how it makes me feel. And uh, another story, a 14-year-old kind of challenged me to – he thought he would be able to dunk before before I would. You know, I haven't been able to dunk since high school – so, of course, I changed my workouts accordingly, and uh, I was able to dunk a basketball. Of course, he, he's got, <laughs> nice. He's got, yeah. So it's just things like that. You know, I enjoy challenging the boys, and um, I don't know what I'll get into next, but that, that's kind of what, what we've been working on right now. So can Eli dunk yet? He's close. You know, he can grab the rim. Um, he just he needs to get a little stronger. I mean, I was the same way as a 14-year-old. I was super skinny um super lanky um can move pretty well but just needs more strength than that how, how is this how are the style points on your dunk was it you know did you go oh, behind no. the head did you rock a no. like a drop step two-hander what do you got dude i, I uh no <laughs> none of that man it was literally jump up with on two feet not even a running or you know somewhat running start and um a little, a little hint or a little trick that I, I had a. He can palm a basketball. I can't palm a basketball, so I had a somewhat deflated basketball. Ooh, the old Tom Brady move. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Deflate gate. Um, and I was able to dunk that. So that that's kind of where we're at. But he, I think he was a little impressed that his almost forty year old dad could do that. I love it. Powerlifting. Basketball dunking Scott Baker. It has been wonderful to catch up with you here in the Twins Clubhouse. We got to, uh, A, get things back to where we got ball games, uh, and then we need to get the Bakers back up here to Target Field uh, to uh, to say hi in person. I would, I would love that. Yeah, I know there's a lot of, still a lot of familiar faces up there that I would, I would definitely love to see. We'll, we'll send someone in a pickup truck to pick you up at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Scott, it's been great. We really appreciate your time. Uh, get back in the gym now. I want you working on that deadlift and the, and the vertical leap. Uh, best, to, best to your family, Scott. It's been great having you back inside the Twins Clubhouse same to you guys appreciate it scott baker our guest it's the twins clubhouse whether you're joining us across our wonderful network or whether you're podcasting us wherever you pick up twins podcasts our thanks to securing financial for swinging open the twins clubhouse doors for scott baker today and obviously first and foremost to scott for spending some time with us from his home in shreveport for scott baker i'm chris atterbury this has been the twins clubhouse this has been a presentation of the treasure island baseball network